Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling podcast. I'm Pam Larickia, longtime unschooling mom and author. Join me and my wonderful guests for interviews, information, and inspiration about unschooling and living joyfully with your family. You can find the episode show notes, your free introductory ebook, What is Unschooling?, and lots more information at livingjoyfully.ca. And here's the show. Hello, explorers. I'm Pam Larickia, and this is episode number 164 of the podcast. It's the 20th of February, 2019, as I record this intro. This week, Anna Brown joins me to answer listener questions. As I mentioned last week, when I asked for feedback recently, I got a number of specific questions, so I wanted to talk about them more directly and more quickly. Uh, we talk about finding friends, letting go of worry and fear of the future, the teen years, and lots more. I think you'll find some helpful nuggets no matter where you are on your unschooling journey. I also wanted to mention something I brought up in the episode. These Q&A episodes are not about having the quote, right answers. What Anna and I are doing and love doing is digging into what might be laying underneath. So often the questions represent the symptoms, not the underlying root cause. I feel like what we do is kind of till the soil around the question and just share what we see. It may or may not relate to the questioner's particular situation. Something we mentioned may actually relate even better to someone else entirely who has a similar situation, and that's okay. We're sharing our thoughts as fodder for your thoughts. If it happens to be your question, you know much more about the situation than what we can envision based on what was written. But I encourage everyone to come with an open and curious mind. I liken it to beginner's mind. Something may sound really out there at first, but don't immediately toss it. Let it bubble away in the back of your mind for a while. It might just find a little connection, and then another. And a few weeks or a few months later, you may start to see how it might actually be helpful in your lives. Or not, that's okay too. As a personal update, have I mentioned lately how much I love writing? Right now, I'm in the first draft stage, that creatively divergent stage where my thoughts and ideas bounce all over the place and I try to capture them as they occur. Then I get back to my planned bits, my outline, and then a few minutes later, random ideas take me off to somewhere new again. (laughs) I'm working on it for a couple of hours most mornings and it is just fun, fun, fun. And I wanted to take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support my unschooling work like this podcast and my website through Patreon. And a big welcome to new patron, Hema Bardwatch. Hi, Hema. If you've not listened to Hema's episodes on the podcast, treat yourself to episodes 114 and 115. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Their generous support is vital to helping me freely share information and inspiration with anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. And I just thought I'd mention we have our monthly video chat coming up on Saturday afternoon for patrons at that level. So you can sign up and join us this weekend. I've actually recently nicknamed it our monthly unschooling bee playing with the historical meaning of the word be as in a communal or social gathering focused on a particular task or topic. So like a quilting bee or a spelling bee, but 
Instead, we're gathering around the topic of unschooling. So I thought unschooling be. <laughs> so on any given month, we might find ourselves chatting about unschooling in general, sharing our recent aha moments, brainstorming ideas around an ongoing challenge that someone brings to the table, or just diving into whatever conversation bubbles up. So if you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash exploring unschooling. And now let's dive into the Q&A with Anna Brown. Welcome, I'm Pam Laricchia from livingjoyfully.ca, and this week, Anna Brown joins me to answer some questions from you guys. Hi, Anna. Hello. <laughs> so, would you like to get us started? Sure. Okay, so our first question is from a listener in Italy, and he writes... We are an Italian family. Here in Italy, unschooling is almost unknown and very few families practice it. Last year, my older son, now 11, did his first unschooling year. It was successful. He found out his passion for woodcrafts and enjoyed free time. Last September, our second child, six, was ready for the first grade. We are going to unschool both of them and I, the father, was the one taking the daily responsibility for this family choice. I felt overwhelmed to have to handle not one, but two children of different ages at the same time. Having to work when they ask for children to play with, we decided to move and live where there was a solution for them. The older one is now attending two days per week, a private educational project founded and managed by some parents, including me. My question is, how can you handle two or more children unschooling so much as required? Okay. So, um, I mean, I know it can seem like a lot when we have multiple children and competing needs, but I think it doesn't have to be as hard as we make it out to be. I, I feel like when somebody is feeling overwhelmed, it may mean that they're putting a lot of pressure on themselves as opposed to working together as a family to kind of lighten that load. You know, having conversations together, expressing needs. It's a learned skill and it builds a foundation that makes day-to-day -day living easier. And so I don't know exactly what the struggles are in this particular situation, but you know, anytime you take three people, you're going to have a variety of needs being expressed. But you know, when the three of you can work together, finding out what each person wants to do and then figuring out ways to make that happen, it's just so much easier than all of it kind of falling to the parent to solve. Um, you know, so it can be simple things like the dad needs to work in the morning and one child wants to go to the park and the other wants to see a friend. You know, you can talk about together, the three of you, how that can play out for the day. Maybe one child sees his friend in the morning while the dad's working and the other child is playing games, hanging out. And then you guys go to the park when you're done. So, and, and obviously that's an oversimplified example, but, you know, not knowing the exact issues, but basically just if you look for these as opportunities of building those skills of negotiation, you can see how valuable they are for everyone, including adults, because in business and our personal life, they're so important. Basically, in all aspects of our adult life, we take other people's needs into account. You know, how does we, knowing how to, I feel like knowing how to fit that together just puts us in a great position for solving work problems, having meaningful interpersonal relationships. And I think when we view children as kind of subordinates that need directing, you know, we can lose sight of the gifts that come from really working together. And 
the greatest gift from that is engaged, connected, interested people with whom we can live and navigate the world with. So I think of it, you know, maybe think of it as investing your time in learning those skills together of listening, expressing needs and problem solving. And the more you work together, I think you'll find the easier that it becomes. So, you know, when you get overwhelmed, just kind of step back and think, okay, we can solve this together. These, for me, it's my belief is just there's always a solution. And if we keep, you know, turning it around, we're going to find it. Pam? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love that focus on on the working together piece, because when you feel like it's all on you to figure things out, that's when it can really start to feel overwhelming. I did want to mention, um, because you said that you guys live in Italy, there is a website for information about homeschooling and unschooling in Italy. It's controscuola.it. So I will put the link to that in the show notes. So that might help as well, but get some more information, uh, maybe some more connections. Um, so a couple of things came to mind for me. First, when we talk about, um, <clears throat> you mentioned that so much is required and, and then it feels overwhelming. Um, it's not really about the time itself, right? Because we all have that same amount of time, but it's really about our priorities. And it's true, when, when we've chosen the unschooling lifestyle for our family, we are choosing to make engaging with our kids one of our high priorities, right? So the understanding that the time that this takes, um, certainly as our children get older, depends on a lot of things. Um, it depends on their personality, you know, if they're generally introverted or extroverted, if they're spirited, have, have higher needs. Um, it depends on their learning style because, you know, some like to learn by talking things through while they're doing them. Others like to kind of work on their own. It depends on their interests. Are they really interested in things that they can dive in at home? Or do you need to travel a distance regularly for them? So just realize that all that time that's needed will ebb and flow over the months and years. So it may feel like it's a lot right now, um, but that that will definitely change over time. Uh, The other thing that jumped out at me was just... Uh, you might want to consider whether all the things that you're doing are really things that you need to do. Now, it kind of it goes nicely hand in hand with what Anna was saying about the three of you working things out together. But also, as part of that, are there some things that your kids would like to be mostly managing for themselves, but you haven't kind of thought through and been comfortable releasing control over those things? Right, because sometimes we do things just because we feel it's easier for us to just do them because we can do them faster or it's less messy when we do them or whatever seems to be the challenge. But when we can recognize and release those constraints that we're putting on ourselves, it can really open things up a lot. So just a little quick example I thought of was how long um, it takes to make lunch right? Maybe you want to make them food because then boom, get it done, get it fast. We can eat and move on. But you know, if they're interested in in gathering up um, food, stuff for themselves to eat, you know, that's such a nice transition and things that they're interested in taking over, taking the time to help them. Then also, you know, it's great for them. It's it's what they want to do. It's what they're, they're learning so much in it. But it's also releasing um, some pressure that you you might be putting on yourself. So that was just a thought to consider. If there are some things that you are 
just automatically doing because you've always done them or because it's easier, quicker, whatever, that you could really be letting them take over as well. Okay, our next question involves unschooling in teens. Uh, I'd love to hear more about unschooling teenagers. My daughter is 13 and has ASD with PDA, which is pathological demand avoidance. So unschooling works best for her. I love the unschooling philosophy, but often have wobbles because I wonder if she is learning enough or rather deeply enough. I'm impressed by how much she does learn by herself, but wonder if she will get enough depth on certain subjects she's not so keen on. For example, she learns a bit of basic maths through things like baking and shopping, but how will she learn at a more advanced level or does it even matter? Um, I think that you'll find she does get deeper into things when the need arises. And you're right that it doesn't matter right now. Right now, you can be focusing on helping her pursue and learn the things that she's interested in right now. So later, as she gets older, um, when she wants to do those more advanced things, you guys will figure out how she'd like to do them at that point. Because, you know what, at that point, she's not going to be the 13-year-old that's in front of you right now. So how you guys approach things may well be different six months from now, two years from now, than if she wanted to do it today and she doesn't want it to do it, doesn't want to do it today. So um, today, you don't need to know how she might choose to learn something that she might be interested in someday. That was a lot of... <laughs> parameters to that yeah <laughs> and and that's a lot of things to be worrying about and and trying to figure out now just in case of someday maybe so trust that you guys will figure things out when they actually come up and focus on how you can help her do what she wants to do today all right so and if you do that and you pay attention as you do that over and over week in and week out and month in and month out and then year in and year out you'll come to realize just how good you guys are at that, right? You will start to learn so much about each other, strengths, just everything. And, and you will get to that point where you realize, hey, we can handle whatever comes up, whatever someone's interested in. And when that interest shows up or that need, you know, because maybe it's something to pick up along the way to pursue whatever she's interested in, at that point, you'll know you'll know who you are then, right? And that's when things will be most effective for you. So anyway, I hope that made sense, Anna. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and yes to all of that because, and and I think the worry piece is really important to pull out of what Pam said too. You know, when you're really focusing on all these you know, we had a chain of what ifs, you know, in that conversation, like it's really taking you out of the moment in front of you. And it's taking you out of connecting with her right now, and maybe even seeing all the things in the depth of what she's engaging in right now. You know, I find with all the members in our family, including myself, we go really deep into subjects when they have meaning, you know, in in our everyday life, what we're interested in at the moment. And there's no timetable for that, because what might not be relevant today in a month from now, we may be diving deep down that rabbit hole. So I think maybe also look back and you'll see that she's done the same, you know, that she's dove into things and gone to this really deep level. Maybe not with all these things that you're thinking of with this worry of the future, but you'll see that she has the process because you've already said you can see how she's learning. 
you can see how she's getting information she's needing to do the things that are important to her. And for me, that's it. Like that's awesome (laughs) because she's showing you that she knows how to learn. And for me, that's really the key. We don't know what any given individual is going to need to know in his or her lifetime. But if we know how to learn, how to try and how to fail as last week's podcast guest reminded us, then they can do anything. We can do anything if we know those things, how to learn, how to try and how to fail because we're all going to have ups and downs there. And then we try again. My girls are now 19 and 21 and my hope was to help them know how to find information, know how to find mentors, books, opportunities to gather the knowledge that helps them to live their best life. And I really feel like that served them well because, again, I think when they were 13, I couldn't have predicted where they are now and what they need to know. I wouldn't have had that information. So as Pam said, just let that unfold organically because you'll see that as a new interest arises, as a new opportunity comes into your lives, then you'll be able to gather the information, the knowledge, and the help that you need to make that work. So I think you'll see that. And and again, I think you'll see it if you look back, that it's probably already been happening. So our next question is also regarding a team. We are one month into de-schooling our 15-year-old son, and I'm feeling chased by an emotional roller coaster demanding I get on board. Our once physically active son is delving deep into Fortnite gaming and into the wee hours of the night. My husband and I cannot differentiate between this as an addiction or a new passion, and we are unraveling. Our son has always been a mono-focused fellow regarding his interests, but in the past, those were all outdoor activities that my husband and I admired. Now, today, I recognize we are deeply lacking faith and trust and that we have projected this emotion more than I would like to admit. We've been living in the middle of the road, semi-alternative lifestyle between early elementary where my son first felt and said, I'm not smart. From that point, we dove into third and fourth grade homeschooling and then at our son's request, entered back into four years of public school until now. It's hard to have faith when your child's uninterested in what we view as worthy. The fact that he only wants to game right now and stay up until 4 a.m. if we let him makes us want to jump off a cliff. We are certainly in need of finding some like minds in this journey and only wish there were people in our own community to lean on. Any resources you can turn us to would be deeply appreciated. Truly, we want to have the faith and patience in the journey towards committing to unschooling, but find that we are impatient and feel we accept the journey intellectually, but feel spiritually challenged by it. We can't help but want to manage his gaming, bedtime, and eating habits, but feel that every time we open our mouths with desire to direct him, we are defeating the purpose of allowing the momentum towards him finding his own motivation and self-care. Okay, (laughs) so there's kind of a lot to unpack with this question, and I'm I'm not even sure that we're going to be able to cover it all, but maybe between the two of us, we'll hit some highlights. I, I wanted to pull out a few things. Um, multiple times you talk about how your son is interested in things you don't find, um, quote, worthy or doing things that you, quote, admire. And I guess I want to strongly suggest letting go of that judgment and changing your language around it. Because how you're talking about it feels so conditional. You have value if you do what I want you to do. And I really, I, I, I just know that that isn't really what you want to be communicating to him. The world is made up of people that do all kinds of things. (laughs) Just in my family, we have such diverse interests, likes, and passions. As we 
I find as we support people in their interest, it connects us. And we can see the value in the things they are doing, even if they weren't at first an interest to us. It opens our mind and our perspective. And video games is an, as an interest is so rich. There is strategy, puzzle solving, reflexes, quick thinking under pressure. And in most online games, there are relationships as well. Learning to work as a team, finding your strengths, developing them. If you can take the time to understand his passions, it will give you insight into who he is at this moment and why this is piquing his interest right now. I love the outdoors. I try to be outside as much as I can. I find it meditative, calming. I also like physically challenging aspects of being outside, hiking, biking, that type of thing. Um, but I would not say that it's intellectually challenging in the way that video games are, that fast pace, solve the puzzle or suffer the consequences. And it's such fun for those of us that like this kind of mind and brain puzzles. It develops a different skill set. And the thing is, they aren't mutually exclusive. You can like to do both. And as you mentioned, he's monofocused. So right now, he's really diving deep into this passion and this interest. That doesn't mean he's never going to do the other. It just means he's really wanting to give great attention to what's in front of him and what's interesting to him right now. And that's really a beautiful quality. And it's actually what propels very successful people along because they're able to give that hyper focus. Um, I found with my kids, there are also seasons and that interests change and things ebb and flow. And I don't want to be standing in judgment of that process. I want to be walking with them, connecting and learning more about them. The, okay, so the piece about managing bedtime and eating habits for a 15-year-old is kind of a whole nother piece of this question. And what was important for me was for my kids to learn to listen to their bodies, eat when they're hungry, sleep when they're tired, observe how food affects them, how more or less sleep impacts them. Me controlling that wouldn't help them learn to listen to their own body. And really only they know how different things make them feel. Our world is made up of night owls and early birds and snackers and big meal people, and there isn't one right way. The best I can hope is that they intimately learn about their body, what it likes, how it works. And I can share what I've learned about me and my journey, but with that understanding that it's about me and that what they may find what works for them is very different. But I think being open about the process and transparent about how I'm making decisions about my own health and the why I do things just gives them information that they can then take for themselves or not. You know, because I do think it's such a gift to understand our bodies. And I have seen way too many young people binge and struggle when they're first on their own if they've come from very controlling environments. They've basically separated and tuned out the messages from their body because they were required to listen to outside voices instead. And it can take a long time to really tune back in and undo that. Whereas kids who've had agency over their body don't really have that same learning curve. They've been doing it all along and they know what works for themselves. You know, trust, communication, connection, these are things we always circle back to. And I think they really apply to the whole of this question and all of its individual aspects. Pam? I'm so glad you you focused in on on the sun and seeing things from from his perspective and you know and noticing how they already know that he likes to be mono 
or mono focused on something he really likes to focus in and and he was on the stuff on the outdoor activities before and now he's diving into this so he's not changing he's still the same person right. he's just got this new interest right so i think that's really interesting um i wanted just to take a moment to say it's really important to recognize that it's only been a month Right. And yeah. <laughs> that really, you've only just taken the first couple of steps on this journey. And I'm not sure what you've said to your son about it all. Um, because just from what the way you wrote the question, I'm thinking that up to this point, you've probably had some control over his gaming, his bedtime, his eating habits, etc. So just to think about, you know, whether you dropped all of that at once, because you said it's only been a month and, and you're worried about all these things, um, or or whether you took a little bit more step by step by saying yes more when he wanted to stay up a little bit later or he wanted to eat something different. Um, I think releasing control over everything at once can feel quite chaotic at first, like now in this first month. Um, because we haven't really figured out what we're replacing that control with. This is not about just giving up control, right? That's that's not even it's not even how we, you talk about it after a few months in, right? The, <laughs> we're replacing that control with conversations, as Anna was talking about, with considering everyone's needs, with that growing self-awareness, as she was talking about him being able to listen to the messages from his body to to acknowledge when he's feeling tired, when he's feeling hungry, what kind of foods, um, you know, water, whatever. That's and that's going to be how he's learning as he's as he's getting overtired, and then realizing what happens when that happens, and and just playing around with all that stuff. That's how he's learning, and and having conversations with him about that. When you get to that trust point, because at first, you know, he may see those conversations as controlling because he's used to you trying to control um, his choices in those areas. So that's just another piece um, to consider. So either way, whether you, you know, dropped it all quickly and jumped in feet first or whether you're slowly just saying yes more and yes more, either way, the key right now is for you guys to keep learning about unschooling. And alongside that, I think it's key for you and your husband to dive into why you feel his interest in video games is unworthy. Anna talked about that a little bit too. So while he's joyfully playing, because it sounds like he's having a lot of fun and really enjoying what he's up to, diving right in there, you guys have some time to learn more intellectually about gaming. Because you talked about how important you understand un the principles of unschooling intellectually, but that's, that's only, you know, the first couple steps of the journey. You'll be figuring out the rest of it along the way. So really dive in and contemplate the different perspectives and possibilities um, that you're, that this new way of looking at life is going to bring you. So um, maybe read, read books like everything bad is good for you by Stephen Johnson. I'll have, I'll have links to uh, this stuff in the show notes as well. Ah, Jane McGonigal's TED Talks and follow the trails. Like, remember, this is unschooling. Like, those rabbit trails are gold. When you're listening to her talk and she mentions something, and because you're trying to rekindle your own curiosity, right? You're going to be unschooling in action as you're learning about unschooling and gaming and all the things that your son over his lifetime finds interesting. Uh, listen to the podcast episode 
episodes that I did with a couple of grown unschoolers who were active gamers in their teen years. And they talk about what they learned through that and, and what their life was like then and what they're doing now and, and all that kind of stuff. Also, pay attention to what your son is up to in the game. Anna talked uh, about a few of the really interesting skills and, that you develop along the way because it's, it's just wide open from everything from interpersonal relationships to leadership skills like you'll hear, hear them talking about in the podcast episode to actual, you know, um, skills within the game. Like it's a wide gamut of everything. Um, give him the space to share what he's loving about it with you without judgment. That's that, that piece. Because if he feels you're not listening or if he feels judged by it, he's not going to want to share. So over time, that's another way that you're going to be able to pick up what he's learning. So you're going to be able to understand it better. You're, you're going to be able to start to recognize its worth. And that's what's important. And, you know, I really think you had the answer right there in your question. Control defeats the purpose of letting your son discover his own motivation and self-awareness, right? And all this learning that you and your husband will be doing will help you discover how and why that works through the unschooling lifestyle. Okay, our next question is kind of two questions, so we're going to break them up. It begins with, there are two aspects that are starting to worry me a bit, nevertheless, and I appreciate this opportunity to ask specific questions. I have two children. My son is five and my daughter is three. My son is very shy and quiet around new people and larger groups. He loves being with friends and family and is very social amongst them and also needs a lot of time at home to read, draw, or play with Lego. There are no other kids his age in our neighborhood, and friends don't live nearby. We only manage to see them about once a week. So far, he seems to be happy the way things are, but I do notice that after meeting friends, he is even more content and balanced. So I have started wondering whether school might be an opportunity for him to make friends because he might benefit to be around the same people every day and thus building trust and getting to know them. He is not the type of person to chat up other kids at the playground, and he is not interested in attending any sports clubs or other structured weekly activities. Also, our friends with kids around that age are getting busier now that their kids are all starting in school, which is compulsory from age six. We have been attending meetups at a park with our local unschooling community, but he does not enjoy these meetings very much and has not made friends there either. I am wondering how he will be able to develop friendships without this continuous contact with the same group of people. Basically, all of this applies to my daughter, too. I see that her personality is a little different, though, and her getting a bit older, I can imagine her attending clubs and courses and finding friends there. So we're going to come back to this, too. I think pro projecting our children into the future and imagining what they may or may not do isn't all that helpful. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> interestingly, as I think about my kids, say like between 10 years ago and where they are now, I mean, you alluded to this earlier too, Anna, I really couldn't have imagined it back then at all. But looking back based on their choices over those 10 years, it's not yeah. a surprise where they are now. So you can look back and you can see the connections between things and it all makes a lot of sense. But you can't know where it's going. You can't know who they're going to be five years from now. You know, you, you really can't. So uh, it, it really is very, very different. 
if you, I mean, I could sit here and come up with a, a whole bunch of things that are so different. Like even our kids, they choose. It's like, I want to, I want to get better at this skill. Right. You know, I want to get better at, at approaching people I don't know. My ki- Most of my kids have all gone through that phase where they've just decided that's something they want to get better at, right? But that, that's not something you can force them to do or require them to do or, or worry that I think I need to send them to school because they're never going to pick up that skill. We're back to when things are important to them, right? And on their timetable. So help him meet his friend, um, his friend needs now. And then just see where it goes. Like we were saying, you're you're going to get good at understanding each other and figuring ways out and talking together to figure out what a plan is. Because right now, the way you described it, he's pretty content with the way things are. Um, understanding that he likes time to get to know people is great. And knowing that he's not big into playground chats or structured weekly activities is good. But it's so important to realize that those things will also change over time. Um, I remember Michael wasn't very interested in any of that either until around age nine when he was. Then it's like, you know, I do want to go to a group weekly karate class, you know. And maybe that local unschooling park meetup will mesh better for him six months from now or a year from now or five years from now when you come upon a time when he is looking for more friends. New kids will have joined that group. Other ones will have dropped out. You know, he'll be in a completely different place than he is right now. You you just don't know the future. So I think contemplating a solution for a problem that hasn't even bubbled up yet takes your attention and your thought away from the things that you could actually, you know, focus on today and, and support and improve for him and for your daughter today. Just dive into today and meet it head on. And then you're developing all those skills that are going to help you do that same thing three years from now and five years from now. Do you want to hit that first half, Anna? Yeah, because, I mean, again, I think we certainly can't predict the future, but also what we just talked about with the last question, that worry takes you out of right now and it disconnects you. And so then you're less likely to be able to work together to meet the needs as they come along. So what Pam just said is so critical. So I'm going to say it again, you know, stay in the now. He is happy. You are meeting his needs. He's meeting his needs with how he's interacting with his friends and trust that and stay connected because as it changes, you both will change and grow and those skills will change and grow. And I guess I just want to say too, like, I don't think I would ever consider school strictly for making friends. <laughs> you know, maybe it's me remembering, like, don't pass notes, no talking. <laughs> you know, their silent lunches are a big deal in the state where we used to live and no recesses. And, you know, we were always told we are not here to socialize. <laughs> and so I just feel like it's an odd kind of suggestion if, if we're looking at it as a social opportunity. You know, now will kids make friends in school? You know, sure, some might and some won't, but I don't think it's the best environment when you're taking all the other negative aspects into account and how he is enjoying himself now and how he is learning and he does have friends. You know, it just doesn't really make sense to me in that way. Um, 
we just found doing what we enjoyed was a good way to meet like-minded friends. You know, I had one that enjoyed group activities and one that didn't. She was much better with one-on-one play. So find kids with common interests, host something that your son loves, look for connections at the park meetups, but then maybe plan on one-on-one time because maybe he's slow to warm or it's harder for him to connect in a bigger group, but he likes this guy and they have something in common. So you can pull that out and do some you know, more small grouped or more focused on a specific interest. And like Pam said, it's just giving it time and just trusting where you are. You know, you mentioned he seems fine with it. Yes, he's enjoying friends, but that doesn't mean that he wants it every day. You know, I would wager that he's an introvert from some of the things that you said. And Number one, school environments can be very stressful for introverts, speaking from experience. Um, He is young and he will grow and he will change and he will continue to communicate his needs to you as, as long as you guys stay connected. And, you know, part of your work over the coming years may be to help him create a community, but that will be with him and what's working for him. And you're going to keep in mind who he is and what serves him and, and maybe let go of this society idea of everybody needing this big group of, you know, same aged peers and friends, because it just really isn't true. So you can, you can set that aside and focus on the child in front of you and, what he's doing, what he's enjoying and what he needs and just quiet the the outside noise. Okay. So we're going to go to the second part of the question. Um, So apart from the friends topic, I am so confident that unschooling is the right choice for us. I'm loving to observe the kids explore their interests and games their own way. It is so fascinating. I know, right? (laughs) I would love to continue like that. However, we live in Europe, Austria, and the legal situation here does not completely allow for unschooling. Children who do not attend school need to take exams once a year from the age of six based on the Austrian curriculum. In these exams, they will have to prove that their base of knowledge is equal to that of school children. So even if my children will be able to determine what to do and learn themselves for the, for the most part of the year, come spring, I will have to make sure that the curriculum is covered. If they don't pass the exam, they will have to attend school the following year, according to law. Do you have any suggestions on how to keep the unschooling spirit alive in the face of this legal requirement? I am worried I will be feeling stressed and adding pressure on them and lose the great relationship we have now. It is such a joy seeing them develop their interests and exploring their questions together without having to follow any curriculum. Um, So really, (laughs) I think this would be a great question for the other parents in that local unschooling group, right? That you're meeting. What do they do about it? You know, they're all in there as well. They're they're unschooling their kids. Um, How do they uh, incorporate that constraint? Because that's what it is from where you live right now. This is just a constraint that's part of your lives. Um, That legal requirement needn't mean that you have to focus on quote, teaching the curriculum, right? That you need to toss out the great relationships and the joy that you're finding. You can talk with your kids about it. Talk about it being a school thing that you guys need to do so that they can stay home if that's what you find out it really is, right? Because I know there there's all sorts of places where there's certain reporting requirements and testing requirements, and it really depends on, on how it works locally. So, yeah, I can't speak to Austria per se, but as you mentioned, you've got that great group 
uh, access to uh, other unschooling parents in the area. So see what they do. So it can maybe be the two of you making it fun together. It's it's the energy that you bring to it, right? Um, it's, it's just a little piece of your lives. It doesn't need to take over. And it's not like you'll need all day, every day, like all spring to cover those bits. In fact, I don't even know that I'd think about it as a spring thing. You know, maybe I need to keep in my mind what this year, end of year needs to look like. And just if I notice those things in our lives, bring them out, you know, make that extra connection. But over a year, because you're right, if, if all of a sudden you're just leaving it to two or three months, then all of a sudden you have to start pushing it more. But if you've got like the 10 months, 12 months that you're considering, so much of that stuff is going to come up in their lives. Um, so what do you think, Anna? Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say the exact same thing. I mean, you know, you have a group of people there that are doing it. So definitely talk to them. And the only other thing I wanted to add, because I did live in a state that had annual testing when my girls were younger, read your law, the specific statutes, not summaries of it, not what somebody else thinks it says, like the actual statute in the law, because it can be very enlightening, (laughs) because people will say the state that I used to live in North Carolina, you know, oh, it's so strict. It has this annual testing, whatever. But when you read it, it, it is not. You know, there's lots of, of ways to make it work in an unschooling life. And I learned that from reading the statute myself, but also from talking to other unschoolers in the state. So use those resources and make sure you really, truly understand how the law is written and what's required in your locality and in your state or country, as the case might be. So I just wanted to add that piece. But yeah, absolutely. You can make it fun too. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to toss out the whole, you know, unschooling lifestyle approach to your days just no. because there's this one little aspect that that needs to weave in there, right? Right, and I'll just say we um, we did never did, you know, oh, we're going to study for the test or that kind of thing. We just took the test, and my kids thought it was grand fun. <laughs> Because they had never done it, you know, and so we're filling in the bubbles and we're doing the whole thing. Like it was never, I had no energy about it. And so it was not stressful at all. And they always tested off the charts. And and the only thing I would say as they got older is they felt bad for kids that, you know, we'd be in like the English section and it has um, subject verb agreement was one of the sections and the you know elementary English piece and we had never even said those words never you know we just read and talked and did and they you know aced it and we thought oh my gosh there's kids that are sitting in school for hours having to do worksheets of subject verb agreement and you just need to talk and read and (laughs) and so I mean I think you'll find it may not be quite as stressful as you think but just it was just that light energy and curiosity that got us through it really easily. Yeah, cool. Okay, so we have uh, one final question for today. Um, My son is 16 and my daughter is 14 and we have been living the unschooling life since they were born. And even before that, now that I think about it, I can't even imagine living any other way. 
The teen years have thrown me for a bit of a loop. The emotional and developmental stuff I can handle most days, but my faith in our unschooling life regarding schooly things got a bit wobbly. Both kids have dyslexia in varying degrees, which affects their writing, spelling, and math skills. Reading is fine. They tend to avoid doing things with these skills, and I find myself panicking about it and doing crazy things like insisting on they go to a math tutor a couple years ago. Yikes, eight months of torture for all. In spite of all of the challenges, my daughter feels that she must get her high school diploma, which she'll start working on through our home learning program starting next fall. She loves to sew and wants to design formal wear, and for some reason feels that her real life can't start until she gets that diploma. My son is not remotely interested in schooly things. He has a lot of anxiety about academics, even before the math tutor fiasco, and basically becoming an adult. He spends his time gaming, researching gaming, reading sci-fi, watching movies, and thinking about a fantastic story that he would like to turn into a film one day. Getting his high school diploma doesn't appeal to him at all. So one has anxiety about getting a piece of paper, the other about not getting it. How did this happen? I wasn't pushing high school, just worrying about the basic skills. And I guess that they've picked up on that worry and maybe feeling that I don't have faith in them, which is not my intention at all. They are both such creative and wonderful people, and I know in my heart that they can create the lives that they want for themselves, even with all the challenges that they have. They have our love and support and lots of time to figure out things. I do miss the days when I was able to enjoy day-to-day wonderfulness of living and creating our lives together without worries about the future and what-ifs keeping me up at night. If I had, I've had my ups and downs with feeling this way and I'm doing my work around it. For the most part, I'm back to following the children's leads and remaining curious and excited about this incredible journey that we're on as a family and as individuals. So I just wanted to say what you're describing seems so normal. You know, I think the time of transitioning into adulthood is stressful and it's not about the unschooling. (laughs) You know, we see it in our schooled friends as well. And they have this additional pressure of all of these expectations and more schooling ahead before they can even begin to figure out who they are. So I feel like it sounds like you've cultivated that curiosity and openness. And honestly, I think that's all we can do sometimes. You know, other times there'll be opportunities to support and facilitate. But often at this age, it's just being present and doing our own work, not to be projecting out into the future and worrying and to remember that there's plenty of time. And that's really the mantra that I continue to tell my two. There's plenty of time. All decisions don't have to be made today. We don't have to know what we're going to do 10 years from now, 20 years from now. We can just walk towards what feels right to us right now, and we'll discover what we need along the way. And sometimes that might be classes, or it may be a mentor, or it may be research, or any other number of things. But, but those things will unfold as we walk towards our passions. And we can just encourage them, you know, to just work on things right now. You know, so with your son, for example, um, starting to work on his screenplay and see where that goes and see what he learns from that process and reading about screenplays and how that works. And for your daughter start designing. My guess is she already is because she enjoys sewing, but maybe it's finding an internship or even some informational interviews to see what people who are doing the job that she loves, what do they have to say about it? What helped them? What got them to where they are? What would they tell someone starting up now? Those can be so powerful and important for people starting out to talk to their, you know, the people that they idolize in their industry. 
And she can still be, you know, pursuing the diploma if that's important to her. But all the while, she's doing the work that she loves and she's learning about what's needed there. And that can really help her chart her course. And I'm going to, this is kind of reiterating the point from before. Also, look at the laws for where you live because I I don't know where you're from. But um, we were able to issue diplomas because we're considered private schools in in the state that we lived in when the girls were younger. Um, and that's part of our state law. So it didn't require an outside institution. So if the diploma is what she wants, there may be other ways to get that, where she, and she can still be focusing on her design work and the things that she's enjoying. Um, I will say just in general, I just wish there wasn't so much pressure on teens. <laughs> like if that's one thing I could change, I would really love to do that because I, I just feel like it's so much pressure. But we can do the best we can to mitigate it with unconditional support and trust in their capabilities and helping them feel and develop trust in their capabilities. If, if, they, if they see in our eyes that we know they're capable, I think that goes a long way. And you're already enjoying it. Continue to enjoy it. And I know that it can be stressful, but things also change quickly. And suddenly you'll be in a very different place looking back going, wow, you know, here we are. So I, I loved your energy about how much you enjoy them and how much you guys are enjoying your time together. And so I, I think that that's really beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. And I, I loved, um, you know, when she talked about the difference between her son and her daughter and, and their approach to that diploma, right? It's just so fascinating how different our kids are. Like just completely, they've grown up in the same environment, same parent, all that kind of stuff, but they're themselves, right? They're going to take things the way they take them. We don't have control over that. And, and absolutely, I love that you found your way back to being curious and excited about your lives and the journey that you're on and realizing that it's a journey and, and we have time, as Anna was talking about. Um, I did want to just say that life is not, about never having wobbles, right? You know, like you said, this is life. They don't mean that you failed in some way, you know, yet it's not like, oh, okay, whatever. So I toss up my hands and do do nothing because those wobbles can have painful implications, right? Like eight months of torture, math tutors. (laughs) But for me, it was, and it continues to be, and I'm sure will forever continue to be about gaining the self-awareness to recognize those wobbles, recognize them a little bit more quickly each time and know what tools work best for me to work my way through them because those wobbles really are about me and I would like that they have minimal negative impact on our lives, you know, uh, of my family and everybody around. But that's the good news, right? It's our work to do. So we have control over that. And, you know, on the other hand, it's the bad news too. It's our work to do. And it's often not easy work, right? You don't want to, we talk about the personal work and, and it's a phrase, but we really understand how, how hard that is, how challenging that can be, you know, to dig in and, and really sit with what we find, you know, because it can be very uncomfortable, but it really is, it is worth it. It is really worth it. Um, so as for your kids taking these different paths through it, they will each make choices that make sense for them. Right. And then they're going to see what happens. And then does the next step that they thought they were going to do like still make sense or might they change direction? And that's where what Anna was talking about them seeing 
in your eyes that you know that they are capable, right? Because they can turn right, left, take the next step forward, whatever, and that you trust and know that they're capable of seeing where they are in that moment and making that next choice and that next choice, right? Because it's not about making that decision 30 steps down or a mile down your path, however you want to measure it. It's just about that next step and that next step. And knowing that you can, you know, learn a little bit more about yourself, see what happened with that step and make a new choice again. Um, and, and you talked about having that time, lots of time to figure it out and your love and support. So I think that's awesome. And as for worries about the future, <laughs> that has come up through all, all, most of these questions, yeah. all these questions, you know, it's, it's something that we all struggle with. You know, I still find myself getting caught in that space where I'm thinking too far ahead and, and you just can't know. There's too many variables when you get too far ahead. Um, I wanted to share, because there's been a, a lot of podcast um, guests who've talked about it. So Taylor Davis, back in episode 55, um, said, every minute that I spend living in that place of fear about whatever hypothetical thing I'm worried about might happen in the future, it's just eating away at my time right now with my kids and my family. And Jessica Hughes in episode 136, she said, 99.9999% of the fear I experienced as a parent comes from focusing on the adult I want to create instead of the child I have, right? Focusing on that future yeah. rather than the moment. So come back to the moment and the child, the person, because it doesn't matter their age, the person in front of you. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Anna. It was so fun to get back to some oh, questions, yeah. wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was fun. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And, you know, that's the whole thing. It's not about having a right answer, right? It's not that, like, I don't want to think that people are asking me questions and I'm sharing my perspective and they're like, oh, that's yeah. the right answer. That's not it. We're contemplating these situations and playing with perspective. Things are coming to us as we read about it. You know, read the question and things pop up. It's really um, just digging into what might be laying underneath. So often these questions right. really are about what's underneath it. So I feel like what we do is kind of till the soil around the question and just kind yeah. of share that. So then people can, whether it's the person who actually asked it or people in similar situations or people just like, right. I just want to contemplate because my kids are younger now. We had a few teen questions. You know, what might I think about that? So it's just fodder for them to uh, to think about, right, as they're contemplating what this question means within their, their family, how they might think about it. It's just, just more fodder for your thoughts. It's kind of how I see it, right? Yeah, I think so, too, because, yeah, definitely no one right answer. Yeah. I, I think it's just – I think sometimes when we're in a situation, it feels – so black and white and so it's everything and big and scary and intense but you know I hope that we can just help you step back and see oh 
okay, there are a couple ways to look at this and how, which way feels good to me because in the end, it needs to be what feels in alignment with you and with your relationship with your child. And that's hopefully what you take away from this is just, okay, I can check back in with my child. I can reconnect and we're going to find our way through whatever this stumble or wobble is. You know? yeah. I love that. Thanks so much, Anna. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast. While you're there, be sure to check out the Tuck Talks. For six years, I hosted the Toronto Unschooling Conference. It was an amazing experience and I loved meeting many wonderful unschooling families. Though I no longer host the conference, the unschooling insights shared by the amazing speakers over the years are timeless. You can listen to all 25 talks for free on my website at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash conference. Until next time, have fun living and learning with your family.